0: What are you doing here?
1: It's challenge there. You know we've influenced nearly every facet of white America. From our music, to our style of dress,
0: walk, talk, dress, mannerisms, we enrich your very existence. You should say thank you, man.
1: Welcome to the Black Blue Podcast. This is your host, Imam Chari Kalameen, and I greet you with the greetings of peace. as Alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. I pray that you are joining us, that this is reaching you in the best of and spirit. Uh, if you're going through any kind of difficulty, uh, any uh, whatsoever, I'm going to share with you the words that my grandmother shared with me. She said, stay in prayer. Uh, It works, it is always timely, uh, and it is never, never in vain. So that being said, this is the space where we center the narrative of the Black uh, population of the United States of America, uh, and more specifically, we center the narrative and the voices of Black Muslims. Uh, That being said, I am happy uh, to have joining us today uh, a very special guest that I believe is going to be able to uh, broaden our perspectives. Uh, and and when we leave this discussion we're going to leave with something uh something of value we have joining us today chaplain Tahara Akmal she is the manager of the clinical pastoral education educator and interfaith chaplain at a uh D.C. hospital. I'm not going to mention the name, but uh, in in D.C. She's also a visiting faculty member at Bayan Islamic Seminary, at Chicago Theological Seminary, where she teaches in the Islamic chaplaincy program. She's a board certified chaplain with the Association of Professional Chaplains and an association uh, and an association for clinical pastoral education certified educator. Uh, Now, here's a wonderful distinction here. Chaplain Tahara is the first Muslim woman to become certified as a CPE educator by ACPE since ACPE's inception in 1967. Uh, Before her career in chaplaincy and education, uh, Chaplain Tahara worked for the Islamic Information Service in Altadena, California, as an anchor and segment producer for IIS, Nationally Broadcast cast television program American Muslim Hour. I almost messed it up. Uh, Chaplain Tahara's media career also included hosting the Southern California radio program Islamic Perspectives and freelance writing for the Muslim journal newspaper. I could go on and on, but we'll we'll leave something for the conversation. Welcome to the Black Blue Podcast Chaplain Tahara. Assalamualaikum well,
0: ASALA um imam tariq thank you so much for inviting me to be on your program.
1: Well it is our pleasure um So let's start because it it seems uh, you wear a lot of hats. Um, You you do quite a bit from not just from being um, a practitioner, but also being uh, an educator, uh, being on the theoretical side uh, and then finding out how Mm -hmm. to how to apply that uh, and and teaching Mm -hmm. others how to do it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Where where did your path towards chaplaincy begin?
0: Well, thank you. It's a really good question because it's really part of my 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 story. Years, many, many years ago, one of the things I admired about the Muslim community in Los Angeles is was that I saw a lot of the Imams who would take care of the masjid, but they also sometimes had responsibilities in the prison system so i'd see these imams and sometimes get invited for eat services to go into the prisons with them to see um some of the women there and i was just fascinated with this role of a chaplain and you know i got really curious about it and then if you fast forward a little bit i had a, a family member one of my aunts and she was sick and we you know weren't sure about how you know her prognosis was going to go and they told us you should have a chaplain come just get our affairs in order and so forth. And I just remember this chaplain showing up and I don't remember what he said. I don't remember his prayer. The fact that he showed up for our family in a time of uncertainty and crisis set, sat with me. And then when I was completing my undergraduate degree in psychology um, for my field practicum, I interned as a chaplain. And that's when it all came together. And from then on, I decided to pursue my education to become a board certified professional chaplain.
1: Mm. Now, as a board certified professional chaplain, you, you go beyond the I guess the normal stop that other folks get off at of, get off of as as chaplains.
0: Yeah, yes, well, it depends. So there are different ways you can train to be a chaplain. There are some people who might take on the title of chaplain, and they haven't maybe gotten a degree in theology or biblical studies or anything like that. But maybe they've got years and years and years of experience in their church or their mosque. And for their community, they go into the hospital or maybe the prisons and take care of people. On the professional side, if you look at job advertisements for hospital chaplains, for example, Currently, if you want to apply for most, like at least academic hospitals, they're probably going to say bachelor's degree, master's in uh, divinity, or an equivalency, four units of clinical pastoral education, endorsement by your faith group, and then um, board certified through Association of Professional Chaplains, Association of Jewish Chaplains, or Association of Catholic Chaplains. Um, within 12 to 18 months if you're not already certified so the standard for hospital chaplains is pretty high that's where the professional APC comes in and then I even wanted to go a step further because when I started training and and getting involved in chaplaincy there were any Muslim women ahead of me that I could you know look to as a role model so I said well Tahar I had this conversation with myself I said well why don't you go all the way you know get board certified and become an acpe educator where you're now training chaplains that way when other muslims other women other people are coming through i could be a resource so i did that so i um finished my cpe did another residency i did two residencies of cpe and then went into a program at johns hopkins that's where i did my second year residency johns hopkins invited me to stay on another four years of training to be an educator and then from there once you become an educator. Um, the board certification kind of comes with it. You don't have to do as much because you're already certified by APC. And then I got my board certification, and that also opens the doors when you when you do that to teach at like Bayan, or I used to teach at Moravian Seminary. So it opens doors for you to work as a chaplain, but also teach chaplaincy.
1: So, as the uh, you, you were the first the first Muslim woman to become certified as a CPA instructor uh, educator uh, for ACPE. Yes. Um, uh, and since, the, since that point, uh, there have been other Muslim women who have followed you, I assume.
0: There are two Muslim women who are in the process currently. One of the sisters she's in, I'm in a, a peer group. One of my students who's training is in a group with her. So I get to see her once a month for her as part of her education process. And I understand there's another sister in California. Um, so there's two now in the process that I know of getting wow. their ACP certification, yes.
1: Wow, so, uh, you know, we know how important it is, uh, especially in education, whatever the discipline is, uh, we bring our worldviews with us, our experiences. Um, so uh, th- that being said, those things come out in the, destruction, in, in the instruction and uh, to, you know, sensitivities and, you know, just how we deal with uh, those we're teaching. Could you talk a bit mm-hmm. about what, you specifically what would you see that you bring what are some of the things that um, that you are kind of you're cognizant of in your instruction that maybe you may not have seen as you were going through your educational journey
0: yeah so um when i was first introduced to acpe it was mainly a, a predominantly christian organization and When I went to seminary, I was at a Christian seminary, and I was thinking to myself, how do I take my Islamic identity and what I have in the Quran and the Sunnah to integrate into this role. And as I started looking at the Quran and thinking about chaplaincy, what I felt was really, really unique about being Muslim is that the Quran invites us to um, to not see difference as an obstacle, but you know, that Allah created, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created different. So we would be curious and to know people. So I thought as a foundation, Islam was giving me a lot just to go out and to be with people who are different from me. Because people think if I'm Muslim and I'm a chaplain, I'm only seeing Muslim patients. But no, I'm an interfaith chaplain, so I get to see everyone. And I thought Islam gave me a great foundation for that, especially the Hadith Qudsi, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, I was sick and you didn't visit me. And then the person says, yo, Allah, you're the Lord of all the worlds. How could I? And then Allah says, well, if you would have visited my sermon, Tariq, or, you know, some, you would have found me, you would have been in my presence. So that was significant for me. So I thought I have an advantage. One, um, Allah is telling me to don't see difference as a way of division, but to see difference as a way of being curious and getting to know people. And it was congruent with with what my father always taught us. My dad used to always say, if you don't like someone, Tahar, you probably haven't taken time to get to know them. So you mm-hmm. got to get to know, know their story. And that was congruent for me with, with the verse from the Quran that, that Allah made us different so we can know each other. And then the Hadith kutsi felt like a direct invitation to me, little old me, Tahara, to be in Allah's presence when I'm caring for people who are sick, dying, struggling, suffering, oppressed. And so I, I just, these are some of the things I thought I was bringing. Also from my story, I grew up in an interfaith household. My mother was Christian and my father was Muslim when I was growing up. So I, I had this intimate marriage or this family that never argued about religion, never tried to change each other's. My parents, I never saw them you know, disrespect each other for their religion or anything. So that's just really planted a beautiful seed for me to engage in difference and to see um, chaplaincy as this gift, so to speak, um, that I could bring to people as a Muslim. Cause you know, the stereotype for Muslims isn't always the best, right? right. The, the our image, especially being a Muslim woman. So I said, well, this is what I have to offer um, in my ministry, you know, mm-hmm. my life, unique experiences and that I've been blessed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has blessed me to travel the world. And as a little girl, i was often the only muslim in my group with friends and when they would recite the lord's prayer and i would recite surah al-fatiha i felt this connection and so later in life allah let me travel to different parts of the world like to the to vatican city and um, to jerusalem to gaza to you know japan all these places where i was in these spiritual you know these sacred houses of worship and i could feel the same connection and divine presence wherever i went so that those types of experiences Solidify me in the work that I do. That I meet students, I meet patients, and we're from different cultures, religions, from different you know worldviews, and we can connect. So that's really powerful to me.
1: Mm. So was there? You know, we mentioned earlier that you know you you had a um, a career in media. Um, yes. And uh, are there any elements from that fr- from that profession? that you have been able to bring into your uh, chaplaincy? Uh, oh, absolutely,
0: absolutely. because the Islamic Information Service, it was so unique. Even though we were called American Muslim Hour, we did a lot of stories on interfaith events, interfaith work. We interviewed a lot of scholars, Muslim scholars and um, non-Muslim scholars. And that's actually where I met um, Imam W.D. Muhammad, Orti Muhammad, because he came to our studio And we interviewed, I got a chance to interview him. And at one point we had Imam Muhammad and Minister Farrakhan come together and had this beautiful discussion. So I met him there and Imam Muhammad was the first Imam that I saw really boots on the ground doing interfaith work all over the world. And I had a lot of admiration and respect for him for that. So when I met him and I was telling him what I was doing, he would encourage me, keep up the good work, keep up the interfaith dialogue. Um, you know, he, he really appreciated what I was doing and I felt very blessed because from my meeting with him at the studio, he started inviting me to participate in his conferences and he kind of gave me access to him if I wanted to interview him. So he his model of interfaith dialogue and um, staying on that path because it because was meaning to it. Mm-hmm. He was probably one of the first imams that said, this is meaningful work. Um, you may not see the full picture yet, but developing these interfaith relationships, being with other people, you know, being in different parts of the world and representing the African-American Muslim community, all that was meaningful. Yeah. And so I, what I've brought from that experience, one is the interfaith respect of, you know, the disrespecting people for having Allah's, him, Allah's divine breath in them. So I see no matter where you're from, that you're my brother, sister, you know, My fellow human being, and just staying curious about people um, has been a big part from doing media interviews, talking to patients, talking to students. I remain very curious. Mm, I think those are some connections. Mm -hmm. You you might be familiar with that term, stay curious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, full full disc full disclosure, uh, uh, family. Um, I am a student of Chaplain, well, (laughs) Professor Tahara uh, in that role. Um, You know, as as I complete my um, my, my, my journey, uh, in it Islamic chaplaincy, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, so stay curious, curiosity, that is something that is a, that is a, a constant refrain, but just from an mm-hmm. in, interviewing standpoint, you know, I, I, I see just the bells kind of went off, you know, that's, yes. if you're not curious, what are you going to find out? What are you going to learn?
0: Exactly, and I think one of the struggles, and I, and I, Experienced this early on sometimes when I would talk to imams or talk to people who were coming from parish ministry into chaplaincy, there would be a tension between, wow, I've been this religious leader for so many years and now I'm so accustomed to giving religious counsel, religious answers, religious fix, a religious fix to people's problem. And then once you transition into chaplaincy, the person in front of you is the expert of their lives. So when you do this switch of becoming really curious about the person, sometimes it can be like a disorienting dilemma, so to speak. But in chaplaincy, that's how you operate, Yeah. right? We're not there to, so to speak. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, are there ways that you feel that you are able to navigate uh, chaplaincy as a woman uh, that might be different than your male counterparts?
0: You know, that's a great question. Um, Do I navigate it differently? I know that sometimes people are surprised. I remember one time I walked into a room and an older Caucasian gentleman, he says, wait a minute, you're the chaplain? I said, yes. He said, well, you're not white, you're not male, I don't think you're Protestant, how could you be the chaplain? <laughs> and then we laugh, I said, well, let me tell you how I'm the chaplain. <laughs> so one thing I, I, I do get, I don't know if it's so much about being female, May, well, let me not say that. A lot of people are surprised that I'm Muslim and female and I'm in ministry and leadership. Mm. I'm, a, I'm clergy. So So I think the opportunity there is to give people a different image of Muslim women, black African-American Muslim women, that we are knowledgeable about our faith tradition, that we are religious leaders, um, that we have positions of leadership and authority. So I think that's a plus for us because of all the different stereotypes. And um, also, I would say in my organization where I work, um, you know, how do I say the organization often, the hospitals oftentimes don't have Muslim chaplains. So now if you've, notice there's a lot more positions coming up in universities and hospitals um, where organizations are actively seeking out a Muslim for their organization. So I'm also modeling for my institutions. This is what a Muslim chaplain can offer. These are the um, qualities that we're bringing. And we may not be the Muslim chaplain or maybe we are, but we also have our um, role in ethics, the ethics committee, curriculum development, Um, interfaith collaboration with the community clergy. So we do so much more. So I think one thing is it it helps to break up the stereotypes about women and what Muslim chaplains, you know, who we are, and that we don't just see Muslim patients, that we can see everyone.
1: I'm so glad you mentioned that. This is, I think, uh, hopefully it's a great segue into this question. It connects to it. Uh, And that is, uh, you mentioned earlier how there are religious leaders the imams uh, and such who have been in those positions serving the communities, uh, you know, for years and years, um, but when it comes to being hired, you know. Uh, uh, you know whether it's university hospital, you know what have you the requirement is, is that you you have some some verifiable uh, education, which c- encompasses more than just your tradition um mm-hmm. so could you talk a bit about because it, it would seem that that distinction uh it, it could serve a, a few different purposes but one mm-hmm. definitely me, uh being that um you know having having the the actual the formal training and education mm-hmm. it allows you to serve in a in a much broader uh in a much broader sense
0: exactly so just just to touch on history a little bit um Anton Boyson, Reverend Anton Boyson is kind of looked at as one of the fathers of CPE education. Um, way back in the early 20th century, he actually was uh, struggled with mental illness. And one of the things he discovered as a patient is that you can't take care of someone's body or ailments without taking care of their, their spirit or their soul. So he was the one who started actually these classes where you take um, um, seminary students and yeah, they're getting the theory there, but now you need to have them working with the living human document. You're working with actual people. So now how do you take your theory and apply it? So over the years, Antoine Boyson, Russell Dix, these were people who were in ministry and working as chaplains who say, you know, we need some kind of standardized curriculum. Cause this is different than being in the, the mosque, the church. This is a different way. People are vulnerable, people are sick um people may be dying it's a different way of being in ministry with people so throughout all of that the different organizations that came up acpe the organization that certifies me has certified me and has cpe programs you know hundreds all over the country in 1967 everything well it all came together and said okay this is the standard for how we're training chaplains and it's more than just religious education You have to understand about the social sciences, you have to understand about behavioral sciences, you have to understand family systems, grief theory, all of these other components that make up human lives have to come in with the religion. Um, we joke with students sometimes and say all you have is a hammer, everything's gonna look like a nail. So if my hammer is religion, I'm gonna miss you know, people's grief and their maybe their family systems dynamics, their loneliness, all of these things. If I'm just looking for Um, a conversation about God, I will miss everything else that's happening with that person. Um, So that became the standard. So ACPE um, is recognized by the department of US Department of Education. And if you're going to be board certified when they're looking at CPE, they want to make sure you have a solid CPE background so they know Um, you're integrating all these different things. You meet these outcomes in CPE to say, yeah, I have a theory, and now I'm able to do these things and integrate and show my competence. And then if you want to go further to become board certified, you've got to write essays and case studies and show up in an interview to demonstrate your competence as an interfaith chaplain or someone who can assess people's needs outside of just religion, right? Religion is component and some people don't have a religion so how do you assess what their needs are if they don't claim certain religion so maybe their meaning comes from their job their identity their pets their family right for everyone it's not going to be a divine source so we have to be trained in all that to assess it and be able to care for people in that way
1: so uh so family i hope you all are paying attention because if if when you heard chaplain what came across your mind was, this the person who just pops in and says a prayer with me and walks away. And that is the extent of, of the relationship and what is required. Obviously, obviously see that nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, Chaplain Tower, to that point, um, as, as people are listening, as you're talking about uh, really an interdisciplinary framework uh, in body and body of knowledge that you have to have some um, uh, some type of proficiency uh with um do you see um, a a need for or or chaplaincy becoming more attractive as a career path because um i can remember many career days uh that you know that i've gone to and chaplaincy was not it was not a field that was really that was talked about. So, do you see as you as you as you kind of lay out a really broad spectrum, um, do you see that mm-hmm. changing in the in, in the near future?
0: Absolutely. Um, I'm on the advisory board of the Chaplaincy Innovation Lab out of Eyes University, and and, uh, and and they collaborate with ACPE. So, statistics show that there's been a decrease in enrollment in the traditional masters of divinity. The traditional masters of divinity would prepare students to you know, run a house of worship, preaching, teaching, and so forth. The, the decline has been in MDiv. The increase in programs at seminaries are masters uh, in chaplaincy, or masters of a divinity in chaplaincy. So chaplaincy is really blossoming and I think one, I think the Chaplaincy Innovation Lab, um, the website and the work that's been done with the Chaplaincy Innovation Lab really put chaplaincy out on the map in a big way. Um, we can't even keep up with the demand anymore. And then when COVID hit, the lab became this, this, this hub of information for people who were struggling and chaplains began to show up in, on CNN and different places like, wow, there's a vocation. A career where you're caring for people in the hospital or in the prison. You know, what you know, what are chaplains? I thought it was a priest who comes at and gives right. last rites. No, chaplains, you have humanist chaplains, Muslim chaplains, Jewish, Hindu. You know, we are people who care about other people. And we, you know, the humility I think that we have to carry is we are not the expert on people's lives. Because we look at clergy, religious um leaders as, oh, they're the expert and, oh, they can come and they can, well, actually, we're really, as chaplains, we empower people to see what we have and support them along the way. But, you know, I I heard what you said, but I'm really curious, you know, how have you been getting through? What have you been leaning on? Instead of me telling you, oh, go do this and go do that, I'm real curious about what's been helping you. And then, you know, kind of work with people in a different way, right? In In a different way. So if it's attractive to some people, uh, I think chaplaincy is a great career to be a religious leader, to be clergy, to be a, um, within a hospital or an institution where you can affect change, policy, ethics, um, work on a team, be a collaborator or inter- partner on an interdisciplinary team. Um, there's just so much that we do as chaplains.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things you know. that uh, I find really exciting um, about chaplaincy, uh, in particular, as it relates to uh, it being a field that is open for men and, and women, right, uh, where gender is not, a, you know, it's, it's not a uh, an issue, right, in, in terms of you being able to uh, join the ranks. Um, uh, uh, that being said, what are some of the ways that you see chaplaincy, education, Uh, Particularly for for imams, for those who serve as imams, uh, how how do you see it um, uh, adding value uh, to that service? Because, you know, you talked about there being two different ways of operating. One where you're used to kind of having the answers or showing up, you know, telling people do this, do this, whatever. And in chaplaincy, it really is from a position of humility and curiosity and, you know, kind of guiding, walking with the person as opposed to walking in front of them.
0: Yeah, so some of the the books I've read um on Islamic chaplaincy from other, you know, chaplains and those who've done some research that actually benefits imams or will benefit the Muslim chaplain to integrate both the Islamic tradition, you know, to have that so you can connect with someone on what their beliefs may be if they're Muslim, but also to not leave off um. Looking at what their human needs are, you know, what is it that they need? What are, you know, during COVID, there are a lot of people who couldn't leave their houses or lost their their jobs or were disconnected from family. So, what do you need? What's what's lacking? What are the losses? So, if I stay with religion, I might miss that. So, you know, grief and loss. So, an imam can not only bring the tradition and maybe bring a tradition about the, the prophet and his tears and how he wept and, and he grieved to someone who's grieving their job loss of community um, loss of maybe safety because we realized during COVID that being at home for some people was not safe mm-hmm. this idea of having to stay in your homes for some people getting out of the house was safer than being in their house right. so you know what are your needs are you safe you know, do you feel respected? We talk about human needs. Do you feel respected? Do you have self-respect? Um, do you have a partner? Do you feel love? So I think what it does, it, and I'm not saying that all imams leave that off. I'm just saying if we go by traditional training, where maybe we have an imam who's done a lot of great religious studies but didn't, you know, have the opportunity to integrate some of the social sciences or Islamic psychology, this would be a great opportunity to kind of broaden the ministry a bit. Right. right. And I remember at the AM, the Association of Muslim Chaplains Conference, maybe two, three years ago, they showed the Islamic mapping project on chaplaincy. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at where Muslims are, where we're serving Muslim chaplains. But we had some conversation about what would it look like if chaplains supported imams in the masjids? What if there was a position? Mm -hmm.
1: Right. I see
0: you. What if there was a position in the masjid where the Imam is, you know, he's, or she, some people he, yeah, are he's running the show or he or she's running the show. And then you have these chaplains who come alongside who can take care of some of the family needs or how can they collaborate and work off one another's strengths and provide a, a little more holistic way of caring for the Muslim community. So we had some conversation about that and I got really excited. I think that would be amazing, uh, an amazing model. For our community
1: yeah 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 and and that's that's that is one of the exciting things is that um it opens up the possibilities and capacity for leadership um yes and you know just in terms of a collective uh uh healing and well-being um i feel i'm a big proponent of participatory leadership you know everybody you know all those who are capable um you know being at the table Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: so yeah. let, let me ask you, um, because this is a profession that requires, uh, it requires a great deal of the individual uh, themselves, even, mm. you know, as you serve, uh, you know, you're getting out of the way, you're making space for the other person, um, but it, it, it takes, a, it can take a toll on you. Could you talk a bit about uh, maybe some of the strategies around self-care, uh, and then just, just being aware of your own tolerance or when you need to tap out or, you know, um just yes. just just being aware of, of how you give and and not giving to yes. the point where you've depleted yourself.
0: mm mm-hmm. Imam Tariq, that's such a great question because I think where clergy has suffered a little bit is in this idea that clergy you know, has this bottomless pit well of compassion that no matter what time it is, or no matter what you need, the, the chaplain or the imam, the pastor is just going to be able to show up and give you all this love and compassion. And not that we're not loving and compassionate, but there's limits and boundaries that we have to think about. So one of the things we talk about with our students is thinking about, you know, your boundaries, even boundaries like what you're cell phone you know how how long are you going to be accessible during the day and how do you divide your attention between your family your religious community that you're taking care of and yourself you know what are those things that give you life what are those things that give you energy um so boundaries. Another thing we talk about is you know finding people who kind of get what you do because I can talk to my sister about chaplaincy and she gets it a little bit, but she doesn't get it like one of my colleagues would get it, right? So find making community for yourself with people who kind of get the work that you do. Um, and then other things is, you know, what do you do for fun? You know, what do you like to do that, you know, makes you laugh, makes you feel silly, you know, makes you feel like maybe being a kid again? But what are those things that you can do for yourself or with your loved ones that that give you life? Um, and to be mindful of when you start slipping into um, burnout, you know, what are some of the symptoms of burnout, being mindful of that, and or compassion fatigue, because when that happens, we start, our boundaries start getting gray, and we can overfunction or underfunction. So, you know, thinking about things like that, but self care is so important, because there's this idea for clergy that, you know, we always have our tank full, and that's not true.
1: Right. It's not yeah. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I can attest to that um, as well. Um, <laughs> I, I, I imagine put, you get
0: pulled on a lot. I imagine that people all would constantly want your time and yeah, energy. Yeah,
1: I, I have learned to. Uh, my phone goes on do not disturb at 11 p.m. Uh, and it comes back off at 6 a.m. So, okay. Yeah. So if, mm-hmm. if you're not, if you're not a immediate relative, then, you know, yes. I, I will, I'll talk to you in the morning.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, That's a good boundary.
1: Yeah. You know, you, yeah, you know, it's
0: a good boundary. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, before we wrap up, I want to, uh, I want to ask one more question of you, uh, chaplain, sure. um, uh, you, you've talked about the chaplain uh, innovation lab is was, was that the uh
0: chaplaincy okay. innovation lab
1: yeah so i mean and the,
0: you, you can find them if you google chaplaincy innovation lab you can find it. great resource
1: okay so uh <laughs> with that you know we're we're forward thinking uh and, and looking at the the future of chaplaincy um how do you how, how would you like to see what is what is something that you would like to see from uh, whether it's from an educational standpoint or from a, a, a practitioner standpoint, um, mm-hmm. within chaplaincy, that's not that's not in existence right now.
0: Well, I would say from an education standpoint, I, I believe we need more research on chaplaincy. There is some out there. I'm actually um, in a doctoral program, and I'm doing my dissertation on leadership with a focus on chaplaincy so as i'm doing a literature review and pulling articles and looking at resources there's there's things out there about cpe there's articles scholarly articles about cpe and and some about chaplaincy but we really need to do research and write and publish about chaplaincy i think it's 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 we're we're trying to do better like acpe has made it um, part of our, excuse me, APC Association of Professional Chaplains now makes it a competency. So one of your essays has to be, well, how are you involved in research? You know, how, how do you how have you developed in your research literacy? So that's an area that we can do a lot better in or get more involved in because um, we just haven't done done a lot of it. And that's one of the roles of the chaplaincy innovation lab. So they have partners with a lot of. Um, You know, other organizations that are given, you know, scholarships and, you know, funding for different projects for research and so forth. So that's exciting. And I'm really excited about doing my dissertation and finishing. I've got two years to go or so, but just getting involved in looking at chaplains as leaders and what are the qualities required to be a chaplain is very different, I think, than just looking at leadership because we're in a role where we could really. Mm -hmm. impose religious and spiritual harm on people who are trusting us and who are very vulnerable. Um, People who are sick, students, people who are incarcerated, the elderly, you know, the people, hospice, palliative care patients. So, you know, I think sound leadership and ethical um, conduct Mm -hmm. is key. When we're working with vulnerable groups, and how do we do that from a spiritual standpoint? Where we're not proselytizing, we're not imposing, we're not judging people. So, I think as we continue on to move forward, more research in the area of chaplaincy is going to be great. And Islamic chaplaincy, you know, what you know, what do we as a Muslim community? What can we contribute um, to the literature that's uh, about Islamic chaplaincy? There's not a whole whole lot out there, to be honest.
1: you know, you know as you were mentioning uh those things i could not help but think about how chaplaincy now it integrates you know um uh human development and social science um and that and they do so because of the demonstrated the uh value that that knowledge has in terms of dealing with people and i could not help but think about um do you remember uh, uh jack welch uh he was the chairman of uh i believe uh GE Yes, leadership. I know his
0: name. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so he had this, yes. um, basically this this business academy, you know, if you will, and uh, a lot of the uh, the Fortune 100 or 500 folks, they were sitting their top folks there, you know, to be trained, mm-hmm. so to you know to increase their leadership. And I could not help but think, what if you know, talk about demonstrated efficacy and value of knowledge, uh, how how wonderful it would be if some of the, the core tenets of chaplaincy edu- education were to be incorporated within uh, business leadership. Um, you know, yeah. you talk about the understanding the power dynamics and being able to to, to look at mm-hmm. people and, and see them in their fullness, uh, regardless of their faith or no faith or whatever. Um, yes. I, I, I could see mm-hmm. a point where that could be, chaplaincy could be integrated into even even those models mm-hmm. as if it's demonstrated uh, value
0: it sounds like you've been reading my notes from class no <laughs> i really because no i, I can imagine because you remember um this i think we saw did you see the story remember the four chaplains yeah yeah and so um in other books about them and their lives they, they were these four men two protestants catholic and jewish who were working on the ship with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of servicemen and they didn't care what your religion what you believe they were there to support and provide care for everyone and at the end when unfortunately they lost their lives they came together you know we're not fighting over you know no i'm not saying i'm gonna go over here and do a little catholic service i'm gonna go over here i mean no they all came together and and so i have in my mind this this model or this image of leadership, religious leadership, that encompasses all that, like you said, you know, how what does that look like? And I think it's it's I think it could be amazing. I just haven't figured out exactly how I'm going to present it yet. But that the four chaplains have in, impacted me, Islam has impacted me, being a woman has impacted me, and it's all coming together. I just I haven't figured out fully how it's going to look, but I am so on the same page with you about well, this.
1: Well, well, I can't wait to, uh, to to see the finished product, <laughs> because all of those things that 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 uh, that, that that you have um, uh, all those identities and experiences uh, that you are meeting this this uh, intellectual journey with, uh, they, they don't just benefit you. They benefit uh, us as well. So uh, inshallah, we look forward to your success and and benefiting from that.
0: Thank you so much for your kindness and for inviting me to chat with you about my passion, which is chaplaincy. So thank you so much.
1: Yes, our pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you for being here. All right, uh, Black Blue uh, Podcast family. Our guest has been Chaplain Tahara Akmau. Um, uh, dynamic, right? Uh, chaplaincy educator. I'm going to mention again the first. right? She was the first Muslim woman to become certified as a CPE educator by ACPE. Um uh, and she's trailblazing not just for uh uh for women but for muslims uh in general uh so um so check out acpe check out the four chaplains go to youtube and check that out it's a really uh, great watch very inspirational uh and with that we're going to remind you to keep up with us on all social media platforms look for us at the black blue podcast uh i'm your host uh Imam Tariq Alameen, uh, and we're gonna leave you as we greeted you with the greetings of peace. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. First off, all praises Allah saved him. The black man and African from enslavement. So I This thing thinking never deface it. The summer that followers have racist. Face it. We was taught to hate black so the lighter you is the more you attract i'm finna pull coats here and choke fear when the smoke clear we still black so oh dear Why my skin breathing grief all we want is